I want to add my welcome to Tristan and Erica and everybody that greeted you this morning. So glad you're here with us. Uh, my name is Tony Diekman. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's my privilege to share God's word with you this morning as we will delve into the scripture you just heard uh, Walt read. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm chapter 119, you know, that longest chapter in all of scripture. We're going to be in verses 25 to 32 in just a few minutes. You know, we're in this series. This is the fourth week of the series uh, where we're, we've taken up this challenge, this challenge to be more like Jesus. And we're doing it by learning how to be with Jesus, but we're doing it so that we could learn how to be like Jesus, right? A theme verse is, is found in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where it says, follow me, right? Learn from me. And, and walk closely and watch me and learn these unforced rhythms of grace. It's there in the text where we learn God's heart. It's the one place in all of scripture God shares his heart. And Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly. Watch me, learn from me, and I will teach you. And so this series is about watching and learning from Jesus and instilling the habits that we see in Jesus's life to look, live, and love more like him. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that the target is Jesus. That is always the target. The target isn't a bunch of rules or, or behaviors. The target is a person to, to allow him to form and shape our lives into his image. And, and so to do that, we need to spend time with him. We need to actually be with him because we learned in that week that all of our doing, everything that we do for God flows out of our being with God. It's that time with him that he molds us and shapes us and reforms our hearts, not just our actions, God's really in the business of changing hearts, not so much in changing actions. Hearts out of the heart will flow the actions he desires. And so he's looking for a deeper change. And we heard two weeks ago that last week that we were created to experience him in community because it's only in community that we can fully gain a, a, a bigger aspect, a, a more aspects of who he is. On our own narrow understanding of God, we see him in this narrow way, and we can't begin to, to, to think that we could fully understand God. But we could gain a larger perspective of him with others. Others walking alongside of us in a community, sharing with one another what we see in God. And so we were created to experience him in a community and share him as a community. We see Jesus committed to community. He didn't have to, he chose to. It was in his essential character. And being created in his image, we too were created to be in a community. And this week we're going to look at this Habit number two, which is studying scripture. Believe it or not, we see in the text that Jesus, being God, still studied the scriptures. As a child growing, we see him at the temple actually being taught the scriptures and actually discussing the scriptures, probably about age 12. It makes no sense to me that the God who inspired the Bible is actually studying the Bible. And so if Jesus is studying the Bible, I mean, it just would make sense that it would be wise for us to study the Bible. And so today we're going to take up that charge of, and look at that habit of studying the Bible because I believe when we do study the Bible, not just read it, not just think about it, but actually study it for the purpose of putting it into practice in our lives, it changes the way we see God, it changes the way we see ourselves, and consequently that changes the way we see, think, and act toward the people around us. 
So as we begin that endeavor this morning, I'd ask if you would bow your heads, pray with me as we begin. Almighty God, oh, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, we gather here together in the name of Jesus, drawn by your spirit. It is not by accident that we are here today. Before we walked a step in our lives, it was written in your book. And so this morning, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to feel your word. Create in us a new heart. By the power of your spirit, use the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. May your words be my words. Mold us, shape us, teach us all here today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have taken uh, a personality assessment? You know, something like a Myers-Briggs or a Strength Finder or one of my favorites, the Enneagram, right? It's like the Enneagram. That's like the hot thing, right? But I, it's absolutely fascinating. And the, and the thing about it is you fill out this questionnaire and then you get back these statements about yourself and you're like, ooh, like how did they know that, right? It's like that's just eerie, right? But think about it for a minute. They know that because you answered the questions. They're actually giving you back the answers in a form that sort of discusses your personality. And, and it's kind of like standing in front of a mirror, right? You, you look at it and, and, and you sit there and like it sort of like exposes yourself, right? It can be kind of unnerving. And, and the thing I found, we just did a, a personality assessment as a, as a staff, as teams of leaders, as we look to prepare for the upcoming strategic plan of our church, we decided to do this strength finder, right? And, and where it was like, so what's everybody's strengths? And, and so how do we go forward in that? And, and I took the assessment several weeks ago and we, were, we just went through it this week and it revealed like just what all the other ones had revealed about me. It's like, I'm, I'm amazing. And it, it, I mean, right? I mean, come on. So, I mean, but it did. It's like, you look at that and the first thing that your eyes are drawn to are the things that it says, because that's how it starts. It never, does, it never starts by giving you the bad things, right? It always starts by giving you the good things, and you're just like, ah, pretty amazing. And you feel pretty good about yourself until you get to the parts where you see some words there that are like going, what? I, no, that's not me, right? Like, I, I got to my assessment, and it was like, yeah, all these great things. And then I'm reading down, it's like, yeah, but sometimes he can be pig-headed. It's like, well, it didn't say pig-headed, but it said stubborn. And it, and it said that twice, actually. And it's like, the longer I looked at it, I started seeing other words like that. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that's not me. And I turn to my wife, and I'm like, so am I stubborn? And she's like, amazingly stubborn. <laughs> and I'm like, was that a compliment? Or is that like, like so I called my mom. And I'm like, Mom, I'm Mom. Okay, I took this assessment and it said I can be stubborn. Am I stubborn? No, sweetie, you're not stubborn. You're just really, you're, you're really like passionate. Yeah, that, it's kind of what she said. You know how Mom's like, she's like, you're, you're, you're just really strong-willed. <laughs> Amazingly strong-willed. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Mom. I appreciate that, you know? But it's like when you, when you take one of these personality tests and you get these things back from from the personality assessment, right? It's just written word. And the thing about it is, is that you read it and you see all the good things, but then you see all the bad things. And when you see all the bad things or even the good things, you could focus on one or the other. Sometimes you could focus on both. 
Sometimes you get so obsessed with all the good things, you don't read the other things that you need to work on. Or sometimes you just see all the things you need to work on, and you don't see all the things that, that, that really are the good parts of your personality. Right? And what happens, it's like standing in front of a mirror. Right? A mirror is just an object. It can't tell you anything. Right? In her book, The Dream of You, this is what Joe Saxton says. She says, the mirror is an echo chamber that bounces back my own thoughts about me. See, when we take a personality assessment or something like that, it's like all of a sudden certain words, they'll sort of like bounce around in your ears, right? Because they're words that maybe people have said about you or, or, or they're things that you think about yourself, right? And, and sometimes it, it, it could just be like, oof. I don't want to even read this. I mean, I love these assessments, but man, that part of it is hard. Because you're left there to try and interpret it. And you're left there to kind of deal with it. And, and you know, you, if you talk to friends like you do, you're just like, well, it says I'm sorry, but yeah, but in a good way. And, and that's really kind of nice to hear, but man, I mean, you hear things that people say about you. It's like, everything's black and white with you. Everything's just black and white. There's a lot of gray in this world, Tony. It's just black and white with you. And, and, and it wasn't meant as a compliment. And so when you see these things, they can trigger things in your, in your mind, sometimes in your heart, that make you feel less than you are. And, and sometimes it, it makes you feel better than you are. Right? And, and so we work hard at trying to understand who I really am. And that's what these assessments are trying to help you with. That's why I love the Enneagram, because it always talks about being the healthy part of you, the healthy eight, right, or the healthy four. And, and it's really about self-awareness, so you really know who you are. But who do you trust? Right? I mean, who can you really trust? I mean, my wife is a truth teller, but I, I know she loves me, and I know sometimes she just doesn't want to hurt my feelings. So she says things like, amazingly stubborn. And I, I certainly am not going to ask my mom because you asked my wife and I've never done anything wrong in my mom's eyes. So who do you trust, right? And, you, you, and that's the hard part. Well, here's what God's word says. Surprise, surprise. Here's what God's word says. Jesus himself says to prayer into the Holy Father. He says this, sanctify them, meaning change them, mold them, like change them into my image, right? And do this How? through the truth. Your word is truth. His prayer is that his word, God's word, all of scripture would mold us and shape us and change us and actually transform us into God's image, into the image of the son. In fact, for Peter says that we've been given everything we need through God's precious promises, through his word, to participate in the divine nature. That it's actually capable we are capable of, of looking and living and loving more like Jesus. It's not just a dream. It's not just a saying. It's not just a mission statement. It's actually something that can happen in our lives. But it doesn't happen apart from his word. It doesn't happen by wishing or dreaming or scheming. It just happens by his word. And so Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, as the people of God, we believe that the word of God can be trusted in every way to speak what is true, command what is right, and provide us what is good. We believe that as Christians. We do. But if we're honest, if we're honest with one another and with ourselves, right, 
we, we don't fully believe this, right? Because if we did, we'd actually do what God commands us to do. I heard it once said, you already know more than you obey. But we always want to know more, right? But sometimes we want to know less. All right, I love what Soren Kierkegaard said. He said, the matter's quite simple. The Bible's very easy to understand. We think it's really hard. But he says, no, it's very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obligated to act accordingly. Let that sink in for a minute. Right? The minute we understand, it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't read that. Oh, I wish it didn't say go and talk to the person. Don't go and talk about the person. Because I really like talking about the person. It's really hard to go and talk to the person. He couldn't have really meant that. Not today. Right? It's like, maybe he meant something else. And Kierkegaard is right. He says, we're scheming in our minds, right? We know and we understand it. We just have a hard time doing it. We have a hard time doing it, I think, sometimes because we have such a high opinion of ourselves, or sometimes because we have such a low opinion of ourselves. And so that's why we need God's word. That's why we need to understand the truth about me. And really, to get to the truth about me, it's God's word. Because here I know, as Jesus said, is truth. It will speak truth to me. It will certainly describe who I am. And if you've read your Bible for any length of time, it's like, it's, it's crazy. Like, well, that's me. But here's the thing. We said at the beginning, it's like, if you don't know where you're going, our target is Jesus. If you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there. But if you don't know where you are, <laughs> how do you get to where you want to go? And I would say, this is not the starting place. The starting place is, is here. The starting place is God. See, before we try to understand who we are, we need to start with who God is. See, oftentimes you hear in our culture today, right? My truth. Well, that's my truth. That's your truth, but this is my truth. Haven't you heard that? And, and, and you do have a truth, and so do I, but where does it originate? It origin, originates in God. We must start there before we ever try to understand who we are, or, or more importantly, whose we are. And that's what God's word teaches us. There should be those questions that you ask as you study a text. And two questions I ask are, what is it teaching me about God? What is this text revealing about his character? What's the truth about God that is, this is teaching me? How is it challenging my view of who he is? And can I sit long enough and allow his word to actually challenge me on who I think he is or who I say he is? And then likewise, it also then informs me as who I am. In light of him, it then teaches me who I am and gives me a right understanding, as uncomfortable as that is. It truly helps me understand where I am so that I can get to where I'm going. Follow me? So as we look at today's text, I'd like to do that. I'd like to look at those, that text read in Psalms that, that you can see the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. What it teaches us, the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. So let's start by, by going through first two verses. 
We see, Lord, I'm fading away. I'm discouraged. I'm lying in the dust. Revive me by your word, just like you promised you would. I poured out my life before you, and you've always been there for me. So now I ask, teach me more of your holy decrees. So, so you see what it says about us here? It says that we can fade away. We can get discouraged. Right? We, we can find ourselves in the dust. We can find ourselves lost and powerless. But that doesn't keep us from trying to drag ourselves up. Right? And, and, and he says, what else does it teach about us? That, that, so we need something else other than ourselves. We find ourselves back here in this place. This is the truth about me, but the starting place is God. What is it teaching us about him? Right? It teaches us about him. It says, revive me by your word. It's his word that actually can bring me up out of the dust, can bring me up out of despair, can really show me the way things truly are. It's his word that does that. In fact, in all of Psalm 119, which, by the way, as I said, is the longest chapter in all of Scripture, 176 verses, you would be hard-pressed to find any verse without talking about God's word, the power of his word in this text, his word, his decrees, his laws, his commands, his precepts, over and over and over and over and over again. The entire psalm is about the power of God's word. And here the psalmist is saying, it has the power to revive you. Are you sick and tired of wearing a mask? Are you just worn out for having to wear a mask? Let God's word revive you. Let the truth of God's word revive you. We wear that mask to, to love our neighbor. We do that out of love for God. It is his word that reminds us and revives us and can bring life with a mask. It says, I poured out my life, something that's really hard to do. Right? The psalmist says, I poured out my life. I'm vulnerable. If, if you want to go deeper, you need to get vulnerable. In her book, this is what Joe Saxton says further. says, it's not possible for a mirror to know, the, to know your worth. It can make an assessment of your beauty, how, but it can't tell you how smart or kind you are. It cannot tell you about your potential. To explore all that, you have to go much deeper. And that can be even harder because you have to make all the parts of yourself so vulnerable. But scripture says when you do, that God revives you. Think about this for a moment. God created you. It says in Psalm 139 that he knows your steps. He knows your thoughts. There's nowhere you can go from him. Before you ever took a step, it was written in his book. There's nothing that you will say, think, or do that will surprise God. Well, I had no idea you thought that way about me. That is really disappointing. You will never hear that. There's nothing you can say that would surprise God. You can be completely open and vulnerable and trust him. Because he goes on to say, because you've always been there for me. You've never forsaken me. I, I can share with you my deepest thoughts. I can, I can be angry. I can be vulnerable. And God will still love me. God will still be there with me. And it's actually through that vulnerability, through me sharing my heart, that God revives me. 
But see, you're never going to experience that if you're not vulnerable, if, if you can't bring yourself to trust him. The only way to experience his faithfulness, you see this in the psalm. How does he say it? Because he's experienced it. As I've poured out myself, you've been there. As I've done these things, you've stayed true to your promise. He goes on to say this. He says, so open up my understanding. Right? It's God that opens up my understanding to the ways of your wisdom, and I will meditate deeply on the splendor and your wonders. My life strength melts away. I do not have the strength to do this on my own. I'm filled with grief and sadness. When I, when I stare too long in the mirror, I hear those dark voices. I hear those condemnations. But when I stare into God's word, he strengthens me. Come strengthen me and encourage me with your words. Not with pithy sayings. Not with don't worry about it. But really reminding me who I am. That I'm weak. That I'm powerless to do this on my own. That I can put in all the habits in the world. But if I don't have God with me, if it's not powered by his word, then, then it's just in my strength. And I'm going to find myself here again. I'm going to find myself melting away, overcome, exasperated. And I'm going to find myself being stubborn. Because what happens when stress comes? What happens when, when things get hard? True character rises, right? So that, that person that you're trying to be patient, you're trying to be kind, all of a sudden when things get hard and you're trying to do it on your own, guess what rises? Stubbornness pig-headedness. But when you are vulnerable, when you, when you step back and, and admit, I can't do this. I am powerless to do this. But with God's word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, what it teaches us about ourselves is we're powerless, but what it teaches us about God is that he is powerful, right? That he is able to change us in ways that we cannot begin to understand. Our heart longs to be with him, to be in that relationship, but it is his word that actually makes it possible. That actually inclines us toward him, where it goes on to say that he kids that keep me far away from what is false. It's his word that illuminates the lies. It's the light that shines into the darkness that shows the, the, the lies that we hold in our mind, not only about ourselves, but about him. That there's, there's no way that he, he, there's no way he could use me. He, he, there's no way. And, 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 if you knew the things in my past, there's no way you'd want me up here. But yet for some reason, God does amazing things. For God knows why. But it says, give me grace to stay tuned to your laws. It's kind of strange, right? Give me grace to stay tuned to your laws. See, it is by grace 
that we actually have his law. You ever think about the laws that God gives you, the commands he gives you as a grace act? That he gives those to you because he cares for you. Parents in the room, why do you have rules for your children? Because you love them. And you don't want to see them hurt themselves or others. And so you give them rules to live by for their sake and for the sake of others. These laws that God gives us, the commands he gives us in Scripture are for our good. They are a gracious act of God that we have them. And the, and the psalmist reveals that. It says, I've chosen to obey your truth. I've chosen to walk in the splendor light of all that you teach me. We see here that while we can't, God can. But here's what we can do. We can choose to obey. You see that? I know it's, it's, it's famous in our, in our denomination. Well, I don't do anything. Well, that's right when it comes to what Christ did. But when it comes to actually following him, you do. We choose to obey. We choose to spend time in his word every day. We choose to study and meditate on his word. Why? Not to earn what Christ did for us, but to actually look, live, and love more like him because of what he did for us. We, we study his word in response to his promises. But see, it's only as we actually do what he says that we actually are blessed by what he says. We can read it, we can study it, but if we don't put it into practice, Jesus calls us fools. And we set ourselves up for disaster. We are prone to wander. But God is always faithful. And he will teach us if we ask him. He will teach you if you ask him. Now, I know some of you say, oh, I'm just not a reader. I don't read. It's just hard for me. I get it. For the first 33 years of my life, I read one book that I wasn't forced to read or required to read. Nobody ever forced me to do anything. But I, like, not to read. One book. Until I opened up God's Word, actually, on my own. And the, and the amazing thing about God's Word is it actually creates a hunger for the very thing that you're reading. It actually creates in you a desire to read more. It creates in you a new heart. It actually can turn you into a reader. It can do what you thought was impossible. That you can actually become a reader. But here's how, you, here's how that happens. You've got to read it. Or better yet, you can actually listen to it. You need to get it in you so God can bring it out of you. But he can do that. He can do what you are incapable of. What you think you're powerless to do, God can bring about through his word. But then he goes on and says, now don't allow me to make a mess of my life. What does it teach us about ourselves? We can make a mess of our lives. If left to our own, we can absolutely make a mess of our lives. And even the best life you see around you <laughs> is a mess at some place. We're human. 
we mess things up. That's just who we are. And the psalmist is acknowledging that. I can make a mess of my life. But God, please don't let me make a mess of my life. Every Sunday I said, please don't make, let me make a mess of this. Please don't allow me to cause someone to stumble. But honestly, it's like I should be praying that prayer every day. Please don't let me make a mess of this. Because I can make a mess of this. And that's why I cling to your commands. And that's why I follow them as closely as I can. That's not why I follow them perfectly, right? Because we'll never follow them perfectly. But we can follow them as close as we can. And what happens is over time, that just gets to be closer and closer and easier and easier. As you choose to obey, as you put into habit this reading scripture, studying scripture, what happens over time is it becomes easier and easier. And all of a sudden you find yourself becoming a reader. You find yourself changing. And it says, I will run after you with delight in my heart, for you will make me obedient to your instructions. It is God's word. It is his spirit that will make you obedient to his word. Why does he say this? Why does he say he delights in his word? Remember those first verses? Because you've always been there. Because you're always faithful. Why do I delight? Because I know that when I follow after your commands, you always show up. I am excited to see what you will do next. Sometimes we're so apprehensive about what he might do. We should start getting excited about he, what he will do because he has promised. He has promised to transform you and change you within the image of his son if you will let him, if you will follow him. If you can begin to meditate on his word, if you can begin to put this practice into habit of studying his word, meditating on his word. Psalmist goes on to say in, in this chapter, it's like, for your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I want to point out something here in this text. Do you hear what the psalmist says? Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. How many times do we hear God's word and we think of somebody else, right? This is a word for Eric. I can't wait to go tell Eric about what I learned today. Sorry, Eric. No, this is a word for my feet, a light for my path. Certainly I share it, right? But I take the log out of my eye before I take the speck out of a brother's eye. It's a word for me. I read this word like a mirror. Because this is a letter written to me about my God who created me, who, who had me in mind before the world began. And he has words for me. Not all bad words. They're all encouraging words. They're all wonderful words. They're all life-giving words. It is the truth of God to reveal who, who God is, to tell you and remind you who you are, to teach you who you are with the hope that that changes the way you see, think, and act toward the people around you. And as you do that, he molds you and shapes you more into the image of his son as you follow his word. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is food for your souls. It is life-giving. It is active. 
and it can transform you if you let it. It can actually cause you to look, live, and love more like Jesus. That's God's promise. And he asked you this morning, will you trust me? Will you allow me the opportunity to come into your life, to show you who I am, to remind you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning, for your word. And I pray and we pray together the prayer your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.